guy named Louis Marcos who teaches down at um uh where's that school in Houston the um does the City Journal. Robert Gagnon teaches there. Oh, Houston Baptist University. Houston Baptist. What is that Baptist University down in Houston? (laughs) 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 Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here as usual with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing great, Matt. I mean, Nick. I'm Nick, yeah. Matt and Nick. (laughs) (laughs) We're excited to announce a format change here at Stand Firm. Since all three of us accurately predicted that Tampa Bay would win the Super Bowl, we've decided to become a sports talk show. (laughs) We'll have funny nicknames. We'll demean callers who know less than us. The works. How do you guys think that our audience will respond to this idea? Why not? All for it, right? All for it. What the world needs more is more sports talk radio. (laughs) That's right. But the real, real new news in the Stand Firm universe is this Facebook group called Anglicans for the Gospel. And the stated goal of the group is to be, quote, a group dedicated to promoting a biblical worldview in the face of secular ideologies, critical theories, and identity confusion. We wanted to spend some time on this episode talking about why we started another Facebook group. Uh, And honestly, I saw that some people who are joining this group are literally members of hundreds of other groups on Facebook. So why another one? What we are hoping to accomplish and what do we want this group to be? Now, JD and Matt, I can't remember which one of you suggested the idea first, but JD, I think it was you who wondered to us if there was anyone out there trying to do the same thing that we're doing here on Stand Firm. Is that where this idea started? That is, exactly. I mean, I was sitting there um, just following the normal Facebook groups or the various, uh, you know, uh, sort of social media uh, streams that we we uh, are privy to. And, you know, I'm not uh, against reading views and um, articles and things that I disagree with. In fact, half my library is probably full of books that are written to a contrary point on whatever it is that I'm considering. But at the same time, I'm also uh, have a, the other half of the library is full of books that that I have have encouraged me and strengthened my point of view and have as it were equipped me for um, the life of a minister out in the world. And so I was, I was wondering out loud to y'all via text, like where are these people doing what we're trying to do? You know, sort of a like a, an Anglican version of the briefing by Al Mohler or or any number of other things that are actually trying to to engage the culture with as much humility and grace and hopefully levity as possible, but at the same time really questioning some of the fundamental unchristian assumptions that are prevalent in a lot of the discussions and, and as it were, not only pushing back in their own lives, but particularly as ministers, um, equipping their congregation to be educating their own um, families, you know, raising their own children or, or, or interacting with their own neighbor, as it were, in a positive and constructive way. And, and one of the things, honestly, that, that prompted the question, and then subsequently the Facebook group, which, Matt, you can talk about the, the, the 
ills and the goods behind <laughs> Facebook uh, usage, because you're sort of the guru, at least in this little group here. But one of the things that I found very uh, interesting is the number of people from all over the world um, in the variety of walks of life who, who have responded to even this podcast, for instance, or like the relative times when I have spoken or someone else I know has spoken up about anything, it's sort of a remotely critical of the prevailing winds. And it has been so uh, galvanizing and encouraging for so many different people. I said, well, there have to be other people out there that are, that are doing this, you know, and maybe they're not ordained ministers and trained theologians, and maybe they're, you know, they're in a s situation where they're not given to be able to speak openly as, as much as we are about some of these things. And that's all fine, but maybe then they would be encouraged by us, encouraged by other people out there, and perhaps have resources that we're not aware of that we would find um, edifying and helpful in, in our desire to, to really do nothing more than what Jude exhorted his recipients of his letter to do, which was to stand firm, you know, defend the faith. It, and this is what, this is what we're, um, we're trying to do. So that's, that was the genesis of the, at least the question. And so then we, and then I started talking to Matt and Nick and I both were loath to get involved into more um, Facebook uh, situations. I've tried to get off of Facebook except for messenger. And then I just literally put up my sermons and then uh, wade into the various uh, Anglican groups uh, more, less and less frequently until the guru himself spoke from on high. So he had some other ideas. So Matt, what do you think? Can I suggest that? that you guys being little Facebook hermits is not helping the cause? Well, <laughs> I think I can hear that. I've heard this. this is, I, mean, I mean, I'm telling you, one side is not giving up Facebook and social media. One side is all over Facebook and social media and, and influencing people and winning the game. That's, that's what they do. Uh, that's what they did in the Episcopal Church is they, they took the heights. So in the Episcopal Church, the taking the heights meant, um, you know, you get on your parish, you, you, you get on, you get people on vestry, you get your people in the diocesan committees, um, you get your people uh, in writing the, the, par the parish and diocesan newsletters, um, you get your websites up, um, you own the communications realm. And I remember at the time, you know, some very pious conservative people saying, oh, we don't need that. We will trust in the Holy Spirit. Okay, fine. Well, not I you. That. <laughs> I, I mean, no, but I mean, yes, trust in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy you. Spirit works through means. And one yeah. of the means he does that is through communication. So I, I, I think it's a big mistake for Orthodox people to abandon even Twitter, as, as horrible as it is, uh, Facebook, as horrible as it is, don't abandon it. And I, and I, and I, and I know there's like thousands and millions and trillions of, of Facebook groups out there. I don't think it, I don't think that this one Facebook group is, um, is going to be it though. What I think hap is happening is that the, the woke movement, for lack of a better word, I know they don't like that, that term, although it's theirs, <laughs> they are the ones who coined it. The woke movement, I think, is, is as big, if not a greater threat than the, the LGBTQ movement within the, the, within the TEC in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, it's more encompassing. It's, well, it's, it's part of a whole. It's part yeah, of a whole. I, yeah, I, would, I would say I would say that the LGBTG movement is a is an appendage of, of this wider sure. this wider attack that now um, is beginning beginning to sap the strength of the ACNA. Um, and if you don't believe that, go you know, and, and that may be because you've hidden your head in the sand. You're no longer on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> go on Facebook and Twitter and look at what clergy and what um, well mainly clergy are saying 
and I think you'll be surprised, much of it is indistinguishable from what you might have heard in the Episcopal Church when you were, um, when and if you were there. Well, I think that's part of our, and I, again, this is, this is, we're, it's not scripted, so we're not, we weren't prepared with a defense for the um, excoriating rebuke <laughs> that we just received, but, um, <laughs> but I, uh, <laughs> but I, but I, um, I think part of the problem for many of us, you know, is that there is a certain battle weariness, um, particularly because it is almost in some cases word for word what we not only heard but are hearing from people in the Episcopal Church and sort of stances and perspectives and and postures and you know for me it's well I wouldn't say this Facebook group was like the last hope but it it certainly um, was was one of these lifelines being thrown up to say okay now wait a minute you know the overwhelming predominance of like platformed and sort of loud voices that are being raised up and disseminated seem to be, to me, indistinguishable in many ways from a lot of people that I still am friends with, or at least acquaintances with in the Episcopal Church, and which brings into question the entire existence of the ACNA, you know, the entire, I mean, if some of these issues are still negotiable or kind of are seen as adiaphora, you know, I think most notably we've talked before. It's like when we, I just had a new member lunch meeting today and they asked me about the distinctives, distinct of the ACNA over the, over the Episcopal Church and, you know, just pulled out the Jerusalem Declaration and began talking about, well, you know, among other things, we have the authority of Scripture, the uniqueness of Christ. You know, we actually believe um, that it's not it's not good to be a non-Christian. You know, that's why we preach and teach and evangelize. And we actually believe that uh, sex is relegated to between a man and a woman in holy matrimony. And oh, by the way, we believe in um, abortion from conception to natural life. I mean, uh, uh, we, we're anti-abortion, you know, we're pro-life. You know, you just go down the list and they say, these are not secondary issues for us. And so if they are somehow being clouded by the teacher or the preacher sort of sidelined in the in your catechesis in your church, well, then you may not be in an Anglican church, at least as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if that's fair enough to say, but but the problem is, that there's a defensive posture about some of these things, which for my opinion or my understanding had been established, you know, at the heart, at the founding founding of the ACNA. And so now when the woke sort of sensibilities begin to question, you know, the missional value of discussing some of these hot button topics uh, with relation to, in relation to evangelism, I want to say, well, I've heard that before and, and it worries me, <laughs> you know, it, it distresses me. So it doesn't worry me. And so again, that's why I think, I need the encouragement and I feel like, you know, we all have various limitations on our, um, you know, not limitations. We have sort of constraints on the freedom to which we can tweet and, and, uh, and engage, you know, in various ways for all sorts of reasons. But I think to the extent that we feel that we can at the very least share encouraging positive critical resources with each other to, to strengthen and, and uplift. I mean, that's my hope. And so I'm, I've been, if you would have told me six months ago that I would have started a Facebook group that I was moderating and had to worry about comments and just praying that people, you know, didn't start yelling at each other, I would have thought you, I would have said you, I must have gone crazy. But now I'm like, well, you know, let's see what happens. We're talking about two different Facebook worlds in a sense. I mean, the, the, there's the one in which Matt is talking about where the conversation is happening. And I'm reminded of Jesus's casting of himself as the good shepherd and telling folks that a good shepherd points out the wolves and goes out there with a stick and beats the wolves away. And that's, that's one Facebook world where we can't afford, I think I hear Matt saying to 
to assume that our people are not walking among the wolves because they're in our churches on Sunday morning, because as soon as they walk out the door and open up their phone, that's where the wolves are. And I hear that. But then on the other side of this, this particular Facebook group that we've started is at least intended as something that's more sort of within the sheepfold where, where we can go to rest. I mean, I remember the first conversations that we had, it was, it was so comforting to me to just hear that other people who I looked up to, who I respected, actually were seeing things in the same way that I was and were able to help me put words to what I was feeling and words to what I was thinking. And just that sort of new shot of encouragement is worth so much for you to feel like you're not out there on your own. So this particular group is not necessarily to take sticks and beat the wolves. It's to, it's to strengthen the people who will then go out amongst them. Maybe learn how to sharpen sticks. That's a sharpen stick. I was just about to say, like, get find bigger sticks. You're gonna need a. Yeah. We're gonna need a bigger boat. <laughs> well, every. I mean, every every. I, I do think that we need to be. We need to begin thinking in more strategic terms about about identifying the the incursion of. I, I wish it was a better word. The incursion of wokeness within the ACNA. And and defeating it, I, I think we're at the point where we're actually talking about a battle. Uh, I mean, you could call it neo paganism. We're talking in militaristic terms here. Right. We're talking about the the, the re paganization of Western Christendom. Okay. Is what we're actually looking at yeah. because yeah. you have devolved. You have you have gone back to a worldview that is divided um, between urges and demiurges, between the oppressive and the press. The with, with no god. That's right. It's the it's power. It's a zero sum game of power and oppression. And if you, if someone else has something, it's because it was taken from someone else and that there is a, um, there's a sort of a Darwinian, materialistic Darwinianism at the heart of it that essentially pits people against each other in a cynical and um, uh, combative way. And so that's, that's the heart of neo-paganism. I mean, Peter Gay's famous book on the Enlightenment, if you've read it, I mean, I have the two volumes I've read in them. I have to say, I don't know if you'll, I would get a catch in my spirit if I said I've read them entirely, <laughs> but I, um, that's also just called a conscience because I would be lying. <laughs> so I, uh, but, you know, the subtitle, which is why I in part bought the book so I could reference it is called a, a, the repaganization of the world, you know, or, or, or something to that effect. I don't want to have it sitting here in front of me, but it's essentially the, the argument that once you took God out of the picture and replaced it with essentially first deism and then a materialism now that we're walking into, well, then, you know, there is no appeal outside of our own sort of consensus. And so that consensus will change, you know, 51% changes like the weather. And what's right is wrong, what's wrong is right, depending on who's voting. And this is what we have. Nietzsche is the triumph of Nietzsche. And so the wokeness within the church, uh, to the extent that it is not self-reflectively identifying that some of the argumentations are simply non-Christian arguments, you know, like the idea that the, the, all of the ills of the world are simply the hands of an oppressor over against an, the, um, the victim, you know, no accounting for, it's a different anthropology, it's a different soteriology, hemartiology, like go down the list of fundamental Christian doctrines, and it has literally redefined each one of them. 
And that's the critical thinking point part that has to be started with is not that we're adopting bits and pieces of, uh, of a pagan worldview, but that in, we're beginning mm-hmm. at a foundational pagan worldview, if, we, if that's what we're uh, accepting. And that's actually what the argument amongst that the famous quote, Resolution 9 in the Southern Baptist Convention was all about, because they were trying to thread the needle by saying, you know, it's a, um, I forget the exact wording, but it was something along the lines of it was a, a diagnostic tool or certain aspects of critical theory. You know, they tried to kind of have their cake and eat it too. And thankfully, there was some prophetic voices in that convention who, as of now, even though it's under duress, have prevailed to keep um, the language and, and sort of the, uh, the, the secular ideology, as we talked about in our Facebook group, out of, out of official teaching. But, you know, um, that, again, that's, that's a, a yearly, I'm sure it'll be a yearly battle, you know, yeah. and, and the PCA is the same way. I mean, they've, they've had to, to wrestle with this also. Yeah, I've said, I've said this before. It's, it's not, you know, there are some non-Christian secular worldviews that we can, we can borrow conceptually from because, uh, because they share the same uh, certain correspondences and, 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 correspondencies with with regard to what truth is or what reality is so for example even though i know that people get it don't really like this all the time but you know third fourth fifth century christians were borrowing some philosophical paradigms from platonism yeah and, for sure and if, yeah, of course i mean i think a lot of the early earlier sacramental thought was is, is kind of platonic in nature in some ways but that's because there's some correspondence there between between that worldview and the christian one that's not like what you see with critical theory. Critical theory is more like the kind of anti-correspondence or antithetical stance that you might find with nihilism or, or literary deconstruction. Those, 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 those are two right. well, and those, those philosophies are, that have no correspondence with the Christian view, right? Well, nihilism and literary uh, deconstruction are vehicles of the whole woke movement, yeah. you know, and that's explicit. That's not even, I mean, that's what, that's what bugs me. I mean, James Lindsley, who you put up that, that podcast for, you know, in his book, Cynical Theories, I mean, it's, it's, this isn't some sort of secret, you know, this isn't some sort of um, end around play. Like this is actually the stated goals yeah. um, because it wasn't well, it's seen called in, critical. They call it right, critical it, on purpose. And it wasn't seen to be, I mean, that's, that shows you the state of our contemporary godless world, um, or seemingly godless, is, or, or Judeo-Christian world, is that it wasn't even seen to be offensive as much as just a vacuum of poor, you know, power abhors a vacuum. Like, it was simply, what next? Like, what, this was the next step. You know, we went through sort of the mystical phase. We went through the, the deistic kind of, you know, nation-building phase. And now we're at the new stage of on the, on the step towards enlightened humanity, where, of course, we don't believe in a, in a revealed creator God, you know, and all of the, the logical steps that come from that. So what is next? And that's what was really been fascinating, is that in many of these departments of higher education, to their to their detriment but nevertheless the reality was that the actual conception of a christian worldview had been so long ago abandoned that this um seemed new and fresh in um even though you know we've we've been here before i mean it's nothing new under the sun but it's um it's it's been quite something to watch and i think you know another class it's a good one you can watch on this uh, a guy named lewis marcos who teaches down at um uh where's that school in houston the um does the city journal 
uh, Robert Gagnon teaches there. Oh, Houston Baptist University. Houston Baptist. That's right. What is that Baptist University down in Houston? <laughs> <laughs> the university. But there's a wonderful class. I recommend it. It's called From Plato to Postmodernism. And I believe Lewis Marcus, we were going to have him come up and speak at our old church, and it didn't work out toward, at the end. But he is an amazing history. It begins with Plato and ends with, you know, Derrida and Foucault and, and sort of the new postmodernists, Marcuse and all these people. And it is just a march through uh, literary history that will give you a real insight into how we got here. And then we'll start making sense a little bit more of how this, the language that everyone's using, you know, of oppression and power and victim and in that the way the identity uh, language is being um, thrown around is really just a fruit of a program that was self-consciously anti-Christian and saw itself as replacing superstition with science, essentially. Um, and that's that's where we find ourselves. And so I think if you're not, you know, Augustine was critical of Plato to the point where Plato was not a monotheist, you know, or at least Plato wasn't, didn't believe in the crucified and risen Lord. And so, you know, he, he would be rightfully, um, critical of all of Plato's fundamental assumptions about uh, the nature of human reality of sin, about the need for redemption, about the necessity for God's intervention in the world, you know, down the line. So if you start with all of those critical uh, assumptions, well, then with, with, with what considers a lot of the woke program, you're going to have to get rid of all of it, you know, or, or at least it's, it's, or at least it's going to be changed to the point where it's not going to make much sense to the person with whom you're speaking. So... That leads me to one of the other things that I wanted us to spend a few minutes talking about today, which is the gospel, <laughs> because we have intentionally called this group Anglicans for the gospel rather than something like Anglicans against critical theory or angry Anglicans. I mean, obviously, we're, we're going for a positive vibe, but, but are we actually Anglicans for the gospel over and against something else, or, or are we just defining ourselves by what we're against. Yeah, I don't think you can be for the gospel unless you're against other things, because the gospel is necessarily conflictual. It, it conflicts with uh, with the world. And so if you're for the gospel, <laughs> you're going to have you're going to have conflict, you're gonna have trouble um, in this world. And the the way the reason I think that is a great name for this particular group is because is because as JD was saying earlier, we are we are facing a system which presents a, a false anthropology, false definition of who the human being is, a, a false morality, a, a, a counterfeit morality of what, what is right, what's wrong, a counterfeit of God's law, um, and a counterfeit understanding of sin, um, a counterfeit understanding of the, gospel, of, of the gospel. They have a gospel. You, you, if you're a white male, there is a way for you to be well, not quite redeemed, but at yeah. least uh, at least not as guilty, right? <laughs> um, so what you do is you divest of your privilege, um, you 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 center uh, non-white voices, um, you you join the cause, the you you sign on to all the ideologies, right? Now you'll never be totally redeemed because you're always you're always white, but but you can at least then escape. You know, they'll 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 devour you last um, if, if, you're, if you're on that side. But but all of it is all of it is a, a it's it's a it's a because it promotes a false law. You have a false yeah. gospel associated right. with it. Um, and, and then when so, you start using these false concepts under under Christian uh, with Christian language, it's even more nefarious. Yes. Yeah, insidious. Yeah. It's and, and that's what really sparked us. That's what sparked us when we started seeing 
people that I care about deeply, it was on Facebook actually, who, you know, who are theologians, everyone's a theologian, but let's just say there weren't, um, you know, they're not, that wasn't their primary call in life. And they were just kind of uh, thoughtful Christian people who were getting, when they, when I started seeing this like monotonous refrain pop up and everyone's, you know, about doing the work and be better and owning things and like all of this new language started popping up. And I was like, what, what is, what are y'all talking about? And then it turns out it's all part of a script all part of a new catechism about what's wrong with the world and how we're to we're, we're part of it whether we're you know problem or solution and ultimately what we need to do to you know be better you know whatever the case may be and it, and it wasn't just about race although that was a lot of the conference conversation this past summer of course but it was about all number of things you know um sexual identities and sexual minorities or you know historic systems of of oppression and repression and all these things and it was came to light very quickly and i think we were we were caught a lot of christian people were caught off guard precisely because of the confusion of the language because you know when you begin to tell people you know i'm just all i'm trying to do is talk about not being a racist for instance you know or all i'm trying to do is talk about not you know wanting wanting opportunities for women to succeed it's like well I, I want that, you yeah. know, I don't want to be racist and I want, no, I would like to help every, you know, or just and go down the list. And I think that's what we're trying to, to address. I mean, it's not unlike, it's part of the whole of our conversation we had last week about the bishop's necessity for the bishop's statement on language, because we're talking about the same people. You know, we're talking about the same yeah. problems. Like no one, you know, you can't look out at the world and not see all the host of problems. And I think we could at least stand in agreement with the, the plight of the individual person in any given situation. I think there's a broad agreement on what's, you know, if, if someone's in poverty, if someone has been, um, had, had lack of opportunities, if someone is being actually oppressed. I mean, I don't think you'd be hard pressed to not have some agreement there. But the problem is there's then a entire semantic world World that you begin to discuss both the the situation and the the hope for redemption and like we said before that's where they begin to diverge just like when we talked about last week gay christian versus a christian who's same-sex attracted it's the same person same problem same needy bruised reed soul but the church addresses them and speaks about them in a different way than the world and this is just an extension of that yeah i mean the idea of being for the gospel by definition means being against false gospels. And St. Paul is under no illusion that there are false gospels around. He addresses them clearly. He even confronts St. Peter to his face. Now, obviously that's a different false gospel. That's a false gospel of works, not of you know completely antithetical worldview, but he is not afraid to point out in public, in front of the, the gathered church, that there is something that is being preached as Christianity, which is not Christianity. And so being for the gospel will at times entail something that I personally find uncomfortable sometimes, but is part of our calling as protectors and shepherds. And um, being for the gospel entails being against false gospels. Yeah, amen. That's a, that's a great point. I, I, in fact, uh, we had a clergy call this morning with my with our, with our, our all the clergy had a call with our bishop this morning, and he he was bringing up that very same passage and making the very same point. Is that you know what happens is the poles in that situation are going to be called divisive, and um, you're you're the ones who are dividing the church, but in, in reality. 
bringing uh, anyone who brings a false gospel is the one causing the division and those confronting the person bringing the false gospel are actually fighting for unity yes. um, it just doesn't seem like it from the outside because um because because any kind of confrontation makes i think a, a lot of people so un- upset we would they, they many people rather have quiet mm-hmm. and uh, and a lie seeping in than a lot of ruckus and noise um when a lie is confronted and can you imagine um, if you're Peter in the in the yeah. moment it's got to be the worst thing of your entire life but imagine a year later and you can say to yourself you know thank god i was brought back onto the right path and now yeah. now i'm doing this work again i mean goodness gracious what a what a witness to recovery and redemption and healing for the future of the church yeah and it's it's no surprise you know when you look back at church history is that there's the the people that are remembered are never the ones who are conciliatory when it came down to um to the the truth of the gospel. I mean, with almost no exceptions. Some people get upset with any kind of any kind of confrontation, any kind of stark. This is true. This is false. If you if you if you're binary in that way, it gets, it makes people nervous. Um, especially when you're bi- when you're pointing out binaries within your own denomination. Yeah, actually, that happened in our very group just this week, Matt. Uh, we had a uh, prominent um, Anglican who we uh, joined our group and um, just sent us a note saying that he uh, they're leaving because um, of the tone of much of the posts, because it's, quote, easier to see what the group is against than what it's for. So it's a very meta, very meta podcast. This is happening in real life um, in front of our very eyes. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's exactly what you're talking about, Matt, is that there's a confusion, I think, in the Christian world. But I think it extends, well, I think it's really, it's, it's prevalent to, the one that I live in that that has has forgotten how to disagree uh, or forgotten that you know distinctions as Luther says in the beginning of um, of bondage of the will is what the was what the work of theology is like there is a it is this a is not both a and non a you know this and that this is neither this and I, I think that that for some people. Um, just the very existence of a disagreement, for, as you were saying, particularly in your denomination, is a source of, that's the problem, is the reality of it, as opposed to the other viewpoint of saying that the problem is the, it needs to be the reconciliation of it. Because it's like agree to disagree is, can go so far, but there are points where you actually need to disagree. And what we're trying to point out is we're trying to help find those edges and we're not going to do it perfectly, of course, um, and we'll make some mistakes, but we're certainly trying to acknowledge that there are, in fact, some things worth worth fighting for, you know, some things worth standing for. And I would hope that people who come, whether they come to join this Facebook group or just to check it out or whatever, would understand that we're assuming that people are engaged in their local congregation, that they're reading the Bible, that they are hearing the gospel preached at least weekly, if not more than that, that they're hearing all of the wealth of good news that Christianity has to offer all the time. This is not the only thing we do. This is not, I don't spend my entire week commenting in this Facebook group. This is a small part of our ministries. This is something we're talking about, something that we're against. Yes. But this is not all we are. I am 
working on sermons, doing Bible studies, meeting with people, pastoring, all of these other things just don't have an expression on Facebook. And so I can totally understand how you can see, gosh, this group makes it a lot easier to see what they're against than what they're for. But I hope that you're in lots of groups that are for the gospel in ways that don't have anything to do with what they're against. They're just proclaiming good news to your sin-sick soul again and again and again. This is a particular conversation happening in a particular place about a particular thing. This is not all that we're about. Although, look, we've got to, we've, I think we need to grow a little bit of a thick skin. I mean, honestly, this is, this is, I think this is a war. We, standing up against the onslaught of the woke is going to mean that we are going to be facing people who are not going to like us and who are going to be very upset uh, that however, however politely we posit our concerns, we will be racist, bigots, homophobes. That's, sure. that's just the way it's going to be. And if we're not ready to face that, and if we're not willing to face that, we should just throw in the towel and go home. I've been saying that for years. Like yeah. you saw the way that Mike Pence and his wife were treated, you know, sort of the polar opposite in terms of uh, uh, of Donald Trump and all of his mannerisms and his, you know, he was like a Boy Scout, uh, the platonic form of a gentleman or something, you know. You know, but his policies on abortion and gay marriage and all of the things that, that you know, staked out his, his position put him in the crosshairs and it didn't matter how nicely he said that. You know, how, and we've talked about this before. It doesn't matter how, how softly you whisper the law of God. God's word is a heck of a lot louder than the loudest and shrillest woke voice. And so, you know, these shrill woke voices are trying to, to cancel out even the whispering of the word of God about questioning your chosen lifestyle or your false gods or um, any go down the Ten Commandments, you know, like you're just, you're, you're just whisper them in a crowded room and you have, uh, you know, <laughs> just will watch out. Well, I've been hearing this my entire uh, life. You know, I was introduced to right in college, this aphorism that I think Young Life used that you need to win the right to be heard. You know, have you heard this? You know, so the idea was that you you spend enough time with the kids so that they finally, you know, asked you, what do you think's wrong with the world and who came to save it or something? Like, I don't know. And so, you know, I appreciate the sentiment, but I have known people who have been still, have yet to win, you know, like 20 years later, they're still fighting the game because they had at some point either lost confidence in the the power of the Holy Spirit to convict and to convert, or just had never been introduced to it, or for whatever reason, just couldn't bring themselves to say, to say something of the uncomfortable truth of the, of the gospel, you know, the law and the gospel. And I think, you know, that that is what we are facing. It's not a new problem. You know, the argument that somehow uh, uh, unity is to be preferred over truth, as opposed to the fact that, that truth actually creates and promotes unity is nothing new for the sake of the church. I mean, this has been the, um, the, the argument against the um, quote unquote divisive uh, preachers throughout history. And yet what we see is that where the truth is actually preached and agreed upon um, amongst people, then there really is, in fact, no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female in those congregations and in those people and among those places. And that's that's the good for the gospel that we're holding out over against this. And so if it's easy to see what we're against, well, then I'm glad. I mean, at the very least, like we're against 
the neo-paganization of of the church where we're against the false gospel being preached as a secular repentance and we're against the ridiculous unchristian idea that we are not as our third colic permission says created from one blood all the people of the earth that somehow there is in fact racial divides that are ontological or or substantive in any way like we're actually against all these things which are actually also parts of the pagan worldview and so if that's what i'm labeled as so being clearly against well then so be it because we've been clear enough because it's all in service of what we're actually for which is to bring sinners into a saving relationship with jesus and to find the new life in christ which is one of freedom you know which is the exact opposite of all of this life being offered through wokeness you know it's like for for slavery christ has further enslaved you to um to yourself and to all of your all of your particularities of your birth uh as opposed to for freedom christ has set you free we're we're in the middle of john 18 right now in our series and sermon series on john and it, just last week we had uh, the text where Jesus is hauled in front of Annas, who is like the godfather of Jerusalem. And it's, in, you know, it's still dark. There's that, they don't even actually have a charge yet, but they've arrested him and brought him into this weird, illegitimate hearing. And, and so Annas asks him, well, tell me what your teaching is and what your disciple, what you're, where you're, or about your disciples. And then Jesus says, no, you, I've taught openly throughout my entire ministry here. I've taught in synagogues and the temple. And if you, you should have plenty of, you know, people heard me teach what I teach. Why don't you bring them in as legitimate witnesses rather than trying to search for a charge to charge me with, which is basically he's saying this is, this is illegal. In fact, what he's doing is he's bringing the law, the actual law to bear on a system that has, and a system and a person that's corrupt. And what happens? Well, immediately he finishes saying that the guard next to him slaps him. <laughs> you don't talk to the high priest that way. And that's what's going to happen. When, when the truth is unveiled, when the law is brought out publicly, then those who are hiding from it are going to want to slap it down. We're not by any means, but to the extent that we can, to the extent that we tell the truth like he did, we can expect the same response. That's right. Um, it, that's exactly what's going to happen to us. He promised that if they hate me, they'll hate you. If they, the way they treat me, they're going to treat you. Um, that's what we can expect. Now, I, don't, I hope that this thing doesn't just end with a, Facebook group. That's not the purpose. I think. I think the whole point of it is to is to equip people, to get people to think, get people to see, encourage people, encourage people. Would... Right. So I'm. Mean, we're. You know. I'm not. I won't say we, but I'll be writing stuff and stand firm. Uh, you know. We have. We. Ha- I have hopes that this thing is going to grow um, a little bit like the 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 resistance to the revisionist onslaught in the Episcopal Church did. But the difference is we're not as far gone as we were then. When, when, when 2003 rolled around and Gene Robinson was confirmed, his election to the Bishop of New Hampshire was confirmed, the Episcopal Church was already, you know, two-thirds under the water. It was, it was already, it was submerging fast. I think we have a much, much better chance right now um, than, than we ever had in the Episcopal Church. Yes. And, and I think people just don't know. I think a lot of people have, have said to themselves, oh, we're in the ACNA, we're out of the Episcopal Church, we're safe now. Yeah, Satan doesn't work that way. He's he 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 he's relentless, and he is going to try and destroy the church, corrupt her, violate her in any way he possibly can. And so and so we, especially who are clergy, but 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 lay people too, need to be vigilant and 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 fight against every incursion. And this is this is I think the latest incursion. Those sound like final words. <laughs> Does anybody have anything they want to add to that? Well right. said. Well said, Matt. 
Well, that's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you want to keep the conversation going, please be in touch. As usual, you can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. And now, of course, you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,